and then the game's over and it's just kind of like, all right, well, see you later. I'll see you this off season. And it's like, I don't understand how it goes from, I hate you with a passion to, yeah. all right, whatever. I'll see you next time. Hey everybody, Trey Wingo here. Welcome into another episode of Half Forgotten History. You know, the Carolina Panthers in the 2010s, when they were winning a lot of division championships, were really defined by three players. It was obviously Cam Newton at quarterback, Greg Olson at tight end, but the linchpin of that defense was none other than inside linebacker Luke Keekley. He burst onto the NFL scene with a couple of amazing years right out of the gate, and sadly, his career was cut short by concussions. So what to make of Luke's career and what he's doing now post-playing days? We cover all of that in this conversation with Luke Keith. Well, first of all, let me just, how are you, man? I don't think I've seen you in like three years. Everything good? Everything is great. So down here in Charlotte. So I finished up and then decided to stay here in Charlotte. Obviously, Cincinnati's a quick, a quick trip away. So um, Charlotte's where I'm at right now. Everything's going well. And, and I'm, I was told to give you grief or gloat because... You know, you and Greg Olson are like BFFs, and somehow you're doing my show before his. Hey, man, you know, it's one of those things. I guess he, you gave me the call first. I'll jump on here. Hey, I said, I got to go do Wingo's podcast. We got some good history, so I'm sure uh, I'm sure he'll throw me on his podcast here pretty soon. But uh, I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Suck it, Olson. Suck it right now, <laughs> Mr. Big Time Fox announcer. Take the L. Take the loss. I've got Keekly first. Uh, you, you mentioned we have some history, and we kind of do. Like we were just talking about this before we got started. First time I met you, you came up for that sort of those pre-draft car washes at ESPN out of Boston College, and uh, I met you there in the studios. And, and your recollection of that visit was, "Oh my God, who is this giant that I'm going to have to play with in the NFL?" Yeah, it was Jason Pierre-Paul. So it was me, and then JPP, and I had never. I mean, first of all, he's one of the. You talk about defensive end and what a prototype looks like. Yeah. 6'5", 275, lean in length. Like his arms were so long and that's what that's what made him so good is it's just that overall freak athletic ability. And I was like, man, these dudes look a little bit different than I do and I better, I better figure it out quickly or these guys are going to take over. Well, luckily you, he played defense with you so you never had to block him, which was cool. Yeah. And we'll, we'll get into your NFL and all that kind of stuff first, but I, I want to sort of backtrack. And like you, you grew up in Cincinnati, Ohio, which is – you know, I'm not sure if there's a more football-centric town. Uh, maybe, maybe a couple in Florida, but like football, high school football in Ohio is hard to over-exaggerate how important it is, right? Absolutely. So where I went to school in Cincinnati, you had you had your public schools, then you had your private schools. And the school in the division that I was in was was a private school league. So it was we had four all boys schools. So it was a Catholic all boys schools, and then we had a Catholic all girls school. So it was. St. Xavier, where I went to school, Moeller, Elder, LaSalle. And you look yeah. at Moeller, that was that was Bob Crable. Yeah, you look that's at, history. Um, you look at Elder, like Kyle Rudolph. So, And then LaSalle always had DeVere Posey. He was at Ohio State, and they pushed some guys out the last couple of years. But it was huge. Friday night was, was huge football night. You had tailgates, and grade school kids would come watch it because in Cincinnati, a lot of the way it works is you go to school where your dad went to school you right. know, for the most part in high school. So my grandpa went to St. X, my dad went to St. X, my uncle, my brothers, my cousins, we all went to St. X. So when you were growing up, regardless of what grade school you went throughout the city, you would go watch St. Xavier, St. X yeah. games on Friday nights under the lights at Balaban Field. And so that, that pride in the school started from a young age. So then when you got to high school and you put that helmet on and that jersey on for the first time, it was a big deal. Because you grew up with it and your dad went there and your grandpa went there and you show up to school on the first day and all the teachers know how to pronounce your last name, especially for me growing up, your yeah. name always gets mispronounced. But then when you get to high school, they pronounce it right. And you're like, wait a second. And you yeah. start to realize like they taught your brother, they taught your cousin, they taught your, your dad or your uncle. And it's just the, the high school scene, especially football scene in Cincinnati is a big, big deal because of that. Yeah, and, and that reminds me a lot of like where I spent some time before I got to ESPN in St. Louis. St. Louis is a very Catholic city. Cincinnati is a very Catholic city. A lot of those things you talk about are those Catholic sort of parochial schools that go through generation and generation of, of the same family going through those halls. Exactly, yeah. Same kind of setup in Cincinnati. And, you know, the thing that was really cool about it was you grow up playing grade school football and then you play baseball. I played lacrosse. 
and you play against all these city schools. So you have your rivals in grade school, whether it's football, basketball, lacrosse, and all of these little schools around Cincinnati. And then that first day of high school shows up and you're walking through the halls and some of the other kids that are in your freshman class are like your arch nemesis yeah. that you grew up playing against. And then you start to kind of feel each other out. You look at, e- at each other from across the room and um, you start to realize that now we're all on the same team. So a lot goes into it. There's a lot of history of all those all those GCL Catholic schools as well as the public schools as, as well. The, the big team that we always played was Cole Rain. That was Kerry Combs. His yeah. teams were so they were big. They were well coached. They were really good. Um, there was battles both between public and private schools. So you started playing football when you were in the fourth grade, right? That was your Correct. first year yes. you played. And, and I read that you always wanted to play defense. Now I find that interesting because, like everybody, is sort of gravitating to football because they want to score touchdowns. You know, they want to be the guy that scores the game-winning touchdown or throws the uh, game-winning pass or catches the ball that wins the game. Um, you always wanted to be a defensive player. What was it about that side of the ball that appealed to you? I don't, you know what? I don't remember initially what, what made me want to play defense, but you know, in grade school, you play, you play offense and defense, but I was predominantly a defensive player my first year in fourth grade. And I don't remember what year was, I think it was probably, it was either fifth or sixth grade. So either my second or third year playing everybody wanted to play quarterback and we hadn't found a guy yet to play quarterback and they were trying different guys out. So they put me in there for practice for like two days and I couldn't figure out the footwork to hand it off to the running back. And I'm like, man, this sucks. Like I don't get to hit anyone. I got to, my, I got to worry about footwork. And I remember that first scrimmage that we had, we played, we played St. Susanna in a scrimmage and we ran like a boot play. I faked, I faked it to the left and then rolled out to my right getting ready to throw the ball. And I got just destroyed. I got smoked (laughs) right in the back, sack, fumble, terrible outcome. And I was like, this is completely wrong. Like I am playing the wrong position. I stink at it. My footwork's bad. I I didn't throw a football. I still don't really throw a football particularly well. And I was getting smoked. I wasn't hitting anyone. I'm like, this is not for me. And the coach is like, Hey, we don't think quarterbacks are fit for you. And I'm like, great, perfect. You're not going to, yeah, there's not going to no be a shit. single yeah. argument. Yeah, I'm good. You got it. You got it figured out. I'm good. So um, that was my one ex- stint playing quarterback. But then, you know, in grade school, you play offensive line. I played tight end a little bit in high school, but the defensive side of the ball was where I, where I ultimately wanted to be. Well, look, you, you and I have that in common. I was quarterback on a team. Once we went on six, I was terrible. I wanted to play linebacker. The only difference was like I had no talent and you had actual talent. But other than that, we are just <laughs> like, I mean, literally just like that. So oh when did you, when did you start to think, hey, I might actually be good at this? I think you always, you know, initially early on in your career, you know, we I always wanted to be playing the next year up. So like ours was third and fourth, fifth and sixth, seventh and eighth, right? So when you're in sixth grade, I, you know, you play as the older guy. And then when you get to seventh grade, you're like, I want to play as a seventh grader on the eighth grade team. Yeah. And I was, I really never played as a young guy. So in seventh grade, I didn't really play. In fifth grade, I didn't really play. Um, but then when I was in eighth grade, I played. And then freshman year at St. Xavier, every freshman plays on the freshman team. And then there's like three or four sophomores that play on varsity. So for me, it was always, what's the next the next step. So when I played as a junior on the varsity team, I'm like, Oh man, actually this is working out pretty well. And then I had a really good year. Our team played really well. We won the state championship. We had a bunch of older guys that, um, that got looks in college, ton of guys played. So we always had college coaches at practice at games, watching tape, talking to our coaches. And after that junior year, I was like, man, I have a shot. I have a shot to play in college. Um, senior year went well. And then I ended up at Boston college and it was kind of the same type thing for me at BC. It was, I came in as a freshman. I'm like, I'd love to play, get some, get some time. I didn't want to get redshirted. I wanted to go and play right away. And fortunately for me, unfortunately for some other guys, we had injuries. So a returning inside linebacker, senior stud, fifth year guy was coming back from an Achilles. So he was going to miss the first three or four games. Mark Herzlick was out with, that was the year he had cancer. Cancer. Um, And then we had like three other, other linebackers for whatever reason, 
we had a guy get hurt. We had another guy miss the, the first few games for a different reason. And then they had to move a different guy to play outside linebacker because Mark and Mac were both out. So yeah. it just kind of fell into place. But after, after my junior, about halfway through my junior year, I was like, I'm going to have a chance to play in the NFL. I just got to figure out if I'm going to leave after my junior year or stay for my senior year. So that's a long way to answer. I always wanted to play the next year. So yeah. in grade school, you wanted to play, you know, as a seventh grader, and then you definitely got to play as an eighth grader. And then in high school, it's like, what do I got to do to be on the varsity team? So it took, it took time, but I would say, I would say after my junior year, I knew I could play in college. And then after my junior year in college, again, halfway through my junior year, I was like, I got a chance to play in the NFL. By the way, you chose Boston College over some really outstanding schools, uh, you know, Virginia, Duke, obviously, for academic reasons, and Stanford. What was it about BC that stood out to you? Um, I think the biggest the biggest thing for me looking at those schools was where can I get into a school that I wouldn't be able to get into without football? So, like, I wasn't getting to Stanford. I wasn't getting to Duke or Virginia, definitely not BC. So I was like, boom, that's my first criteria is – academics where can I get in somewhere that's strong academically and then after that there was such a connection between St. Xavier High School my high school and Boston College for a lot of reasons number one um, the Jesuit connection I went sure. to a Jesuit high school obviously BC's Jesuit Tom O'Brien was a longtime BC coach and then he ended up at NC State um, this was he left before I got to Boston College but he had continually pulled St. Xavier kids at a at a St. X to up to BC for for a long time, we've probably had a kid at BC from St. Xavier High School playing or even coaching for the last 25 years, probably in a row. Yeah. So there was an obvious connection there. There was a guy named Alex Albright who was, he was three years older than me. Um, and when, so when I was being recruited, he would have been like a red shirt, red shirt junior. So when I got to school, he had, he had two years left of eligibility. So when I looked at it, I was like, look, I don't know anything about college football. I don't know anybody, but the familiarity is at Boston College. There's a Jesuit, um, Jesuit leaning there. I know Alex. Alex's parents were unbelievable, not only to me, but to my parents as well. Alex was a tremendous resource. I thought Boston was really neat. Um, the Sanex kids had a lot of success at Boston College on the football team. And then, and then another one that was really big is that's when, when Matt was rolling. That's yeah. when they were number two in the nation. They beat Virginia Tech on the road in that night game in the rain where Matt threw it across his body. I think it was Andre Callender. It was they were rolling academically. It was strong. It was in Boston, which was sweet. And the St. Xavier connection was hard for me to pass up. I think those are that combination right there was a big deal for me. By the way, right now I'm telling you, Tim Hasselbeck and Damian Woody are loving this podcast. They're just Gosh, dude, I'm telling you, so, I would have so much I'm props. Just, yeah, I'm not just saying I would go there. I would go there all over again. We had a great time. I wish we would have won some more games, but the experience there of the academics in the school, in the city, in the vibe, it was, I've got lifelong friends that I went to school up there with that there's a big group of us that still talk all the time. It was a special place. And, you know, it was, I, I'm very, very happy I made that decision to go up there. So you, you decided to leave after three years and enter into the draft. What were your expectations going into the draft that year? You know what? I think you looked at you looked at the crop of linebackers that year, and it was, you know, the guys that were coming out that were were big names were like um, Dante Hightower was a big name. Yep. Um, that was Manti. Manti and I came in the same year together, so coming out, they didn't know if Manti was going to come out or go back to school. Ultimately, he went back to school, and then you know Bobby Wagner and Levante David and. Um, pretty good crew you're talking about here yeah we mean you know what we were that class of backers was really really good and I'm sure I'm missing some guys I think Demario Davis was that year as well yep um we had some really we had really good backers that year and I think just kind of talking around and talking to agents and I didn't feel like I really had much left to prove at Boston College you know we were we had struggled that year I played I played well that year um, I felt like my stock was at an all-time high, and it was something that I've always dreamed about doing. So I just remember when Manti came back, I was like, okay, boom, like that kind of helps me. And then um, I felt like uh, I felt like Dante Hightower and I were both inside backers, but we we had a very different style. Dante yeah. was like more of like a 
he was like a three, four. So obviously he handed up in with the Patriots and that was perfect for him. Levante was more of a, like a weak side wheelbacker, which I was kind of more of an inside guy. So it was kind of just like Bobby and I for the inside spot in like a four, three defense. Um, and then Bobby and I ended up training together for the combine. And then he missed the combine. I think he was, he, he was sick or something. So it just kind of worked out for me for whatever reason that I, you know, I was like, Hey, look, this is the situation. These are the guys in the class. Um, if I run well and I weigh enough, I feel like I'm going to put myself in a pretty good position, but it was very difficult to leave BC just because all my buddies up there, we had such a good time, um, together as just as friends and through the whole college experience, it was a very difficult decision. By the way, you mentioned Manti Teo. Have you seen the documentary on him? On yeah, it was, it was, I'd never, I, you incredible. know, you hear about it. Incredible. And, yeah. It was an unbelievable story, but he's everybody that you talk to that I talked to about Manti. I've met him a few different times, but guys that played with him all love him. He's just, I yeah. just think he's a good dude. That was an unfortunate situation. Yeah, I think history will look very kindly on Manti Teo yeah. and maybe not kindly on how a lot of us handled that situation uh, when it came out. So you end up going ninth overall, first first backer off the board. And I always like to ask this question because, you know, the draft is very, very strange at times. Uh, I can't remember who we had on the pod. Oh, it was, it was uh, Edron James. He said Philadelphia yeah. flew him up uh, there and flew him up there and was all a ruse. Like they were never, nobody ever met him. He just, they flew him up to Philadelphia and never met anyone with the Eagles and just went back home. Like how much contact did you have it with Carolina before the draft? So I took, I took, I met with him at the combine, but you meet with, I don't know how many, 15 or 20 of the teams. Right. Um, and then I took a, a 32 visit or whatever they're calling it now, where you go down there and you meet with the coaches and um, they feel you out, you feel them out. Uh, but I think the one thing that really helped me a lot was Ron Rivera and Jim Morrissey played together on the, on the bears. So right. the linebacker room was, was, was coach Jim Morrissey and then Singletary. Those were the three guys. And I went to college with Jim Morrissey's son and we were, he was a linebacker. He was in Alex Albright's class. So he was two years older than me and we were actually roommates on the road. Um, so Mike and I were, are really good buddies and we talked a lot and um it was some like little inside information for 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 coach Rivera he's able to talk to Jim and and Mike and get the inside scoop but the whole process was awesome um I loved the combine I loved training for the combine but when you finally hear your name get called it's it's kind of a uh it's it's reassuring because you know where you're going to be for such a long time you don't know from the end of our season, which was Thanksgiving until the draft in April, you understand like, look, I'm going to try to play in the NFL. I could be in 32 cities. I have no idea where I'm going to be. And then on that, on the draft night, when you get drafted, a lot of emotions are going through your head, but the biggest one is now I know where I'm going to be and I can set myself up, hopefully in a good position to have some success. Let's just say that worked out. Uh, why don't we take our first break here on Half Forgotten History? When we come back with Luke Keekley, we'll talk about that success and how he sort of shot out of a cannon uh, in his first couple of seasons. Stay with us. We're coming right back on Half Forgotten History. You know, you open up a Mercedes-Benz Sprinter and you're opening more than doors. You're unlocking potential to do your own thing, be your own boss, and live out your own dreams. With 16 body types, your choice of a gas or diesel engine and thousands of ways to customize. A Sprinter van is capable and versatile enough to help you drive your ambitions as far as you want to take them. So go ahead, unlock your potential inside a Mercedes-Benz Sprinter. All right, everybody, I want to tell you about an app I use quite frequently, and it's Zelle. Look, whenever you're out on the golf course, you're playing with your buddies, the round is over, you've either won or you've lost, and it's time to either collect your rewards or give away your punishment. Using the Zelle app is so simple and easy. You don't have to reach into your wallet, look for a 20 or a five and make sure you had the right bills. You open up the Zelle app and you either tell people, I kicked your butt today, give me my rewards for kicking your butt, or you can quickly and less humiliatingly just send them the money and you don't have to dwell on it. Either way, whether you win that round of golf or you lose, Zelle makes the transition of the funds so much easier and simpler and everybody is a little happy. All right, back with Luke Keekley on this episode of Half Forgotten History. And as you know, this season, Half Forgotten History is brought to us by Mercedes-Benz Sprinter Vans, uh, helping drivers unlock the potential that they have. So how did going to Carolina, you mentioned Ron Rivera being the head coach, how did 
working with a guy like Ron, who was a linebacker on that 85 Bears team, and had great success. How much landing where you did helped you unlock your potential? I think that was honestly, that was a huge deal. And, you know, people talk about fit and scheme and situation. I think I fit into the perfect situation in Carolina. First of all, you kind of nailed it. Ron played with Singletary on the 85 Bears, one of the best defenses ever. And then he spent a ton of time with Briggs and Erlacher in Chicago. So not only did he play the position, but he also coached, you know, two of the best guys at their position on really good defenses for a long time in Chicago. So when I got there, not only, like I said, he played the position, he knew the position, he coached guys that had tremendous success, but then just the overall situation in Carolina at that position and on that defense was perfect. You look at our defensive coordinator was Sean McDermott. He was fantastic. I love that guy. I think he's a fantastic coach. I'm glad he's doing well up in Buffalo, but his defense really highlighted the backers specifically in the sub package with the Mike and the will. And then ultimately ended up being Thomas and I, I had a really good coach that first year, Warren Beelan, great teacher, calm, patient was, was great for a rookie. Showed me things. He was patient. He didn't get agitated, very helpful. And then that room that I walked into couldn't have been better. You know, you had Thomas Davis, John Beeson, James Anderson had was just coming off a really good couple years as the third backer. And then there was a, um, a special teams weak side backer guy that knew all the spots named Jordan Sen. His locker was oh, right I next to mine. Yeah. And he was fantastic. Anything that I needed from, from playbook to Charlotte to how to stretch to taking me under his wing, he was phenomenal. And so when you look at that room, I had a great head coach that liked backers. Our D coordinator was the man. Our our linebacker coach my rookie year was great and patient and put up with all of my mistakes. I had three older guys that were phenomenal teachers. And then I had Jordan, who was like my life coach in the locker room. It was like every check mark that you could have checked off to walk into a situation as a young guy was perfect. And no one had egos. So we looked at, you look at that, that group of three guys. So, so Beast, Thomas and James, and then me, it was like, well, Beast was a first rounder playing awesome pro bowler coming off an injury. Thomas was Thomas Davis coming off an injury. James was healthy coming off a phenomenal season. And then I got drafted in the first round. So it was like, how are we going to figure out how to play all these guys? And it just kind of, it kind of worked itself out and it was amazing to me. And I learned a lot that first year of, of how the game works and how you should treat the game just based on how the older guys did no egos coaches make the decision competitive to the point where I want to play every snap and I'm going to try to beat you out. But at the end of the day, no ego, no, no taking shots, no treating guys poorly, no treating, telling anybody the wrong thing. My situation in Carolina when I got there was about as good as it could have gotten in just about any, on any team. I was just very fortunate. Well, I, I appreciate that. And you're right. Fit always matters, but then you had to do your job yeah. and you did your job at a historic level for people that don't know, or may not remember, he was the defensive rookie of the year in 2012. And then you follow that up your second year by being the defensive player of the year in the history of the NFL. Here are the two people that have accomplished that in back-to-back years, defensive rookie of the year, Follow that up with Defensive Player of the Year, Luke Keekley and Lawrence Taylor. That's it. That's the end of the list. What does that mean to you, knowing that you and he are the only two players to have pulled that off? You know what? It's it's a, it's super cool to me, and it's it's something that. And he's a Tar Heel. He was a Carolina guy. Tar Heel, just some ACC guys holding it down. <laughs> but, uh, you know what? You know what? Honestly, was great for for Thomas and I and all the rest of the linebackers is yeah. that. Going into my going into my second year, we drafted two studs up front on the defensive line. We drafted Starla Tutele yep. uh, with our first round pick, and then K1 Short with our second round pick. And then my rookie year, we picked up a guy named Dwan Edwards, another D tackle. We had three dudes that were just absolute problems for for pretty much my whole time in Carolina. And we had a couple other guys that were really good players, but those guys were just problems. They were all a little bit different. They were big, they were physical, they were athletic, and our defensive ends were really good. Charles was really good. We had Greg Hardy. 
We had dudes that were just Mario Addison, just dudes that took up blockers. So if you, I think playing off the ball backer in Carolina for those six or seven years where we had all those guys together was the best job in the NFL. If you don't block these two monsters up front, they're going to make the tackle. If you don't block Chuck and, and Mario, they're going to, they're going to cause problems. So Thomas and I largely just ran around and had fun and hit guys without having to deal with any kind of blockers. It was fantastic. Every linebacker that I've ever talked to says, if you can give me Hoss, I mean, Ray Lewis talks about the guys he had up front in Baltimore when he was at his prime. Like you give me guys like Tony Siragusa oh, and some of those guys up Sam front. Sam Adams. Sam Adams, Ted Washington, like those Ted guys. Washington, he had Suggs and then, yeah, yeah. gosh, he had just animals. Um, by the way, I, I got to tell you this story now because we, we mentioned Lawrence Taylor. You mentioned Jason Pierre-Paul freaking you out. Like one of my first TV jobs, I was in a tiny upstate uh, New York TV thing, and I went down to a Giants game uh, the year they won, uh, they ended up winning Super Bowl 25, and I got in the locker room, and I, Lawrence Taylor walks in, and I'm legitimately terrified, like legitimately terrified uh, that I have to ask this guy questions. And, you know, he's just this giant menacing Hulk. He comes over and goes, what you need, man? I'm like, oh, thank God. You know, thank God. Thank you for making this yeah. easy on me. You know, thank you for making this. So I, every everybody goes through that on some level or another. So your your career got off to a ridiculous start, and then we get to 2015. Yeah, uh, the year you guys almost run the table. Um, before we get to the Super Bowl and all that kind of stuff, can we just talk for a second about how nuts that Giants game was with Odell oh Beckham gosh. Jr. and Josh Norman that you're like, I don't think I've ever seen. Anything like that as long as I've covered the sport. And it started with the pregame with what I can't remember who the injured Carolina defensive back was. They, they brought the, the the hammer or the, the bat, bat out, out on the field, yeah. Yeah, which was which was something I did keep chopping or whatever it was, right? You caught that if you want. Yeah, what, whatever. <laughs> yeah, you know, there was some meaning to it, but that like and those two players lost their freaking minds. Oh my gosh. And you know how those guys are, you know, yeah. Odell, ultra competitive. He was ball in Josh was having a phenomenal year and both of those guys love to chat and yak and and you know media wants to they got to have a storyline for each game right and that was nothing was more fitting than those two guys and they went at it and like largely to begin the game Odell was quiet Josh was quiet but you had that sense that like it's just it's just a matter of time and like that's what I loved about about the game is everybody had their own personal battles in the game. Like, boom, I got these guards that I got to deal with that are pain. I got a center I got to deal with. And then you look at like, like a guy like Christian, Christian's got his own battles in the game, but nobody is more singular than a wide receiver in a corner. So it was like, man, it's only a matter of time before these guys that are yakking all week, yakking pregame before something pops off. And, um, it did. It did get a little out of hand, but I think the officials oh. did a good job. There was there was one little incident where where some guys took some shots late, but after that, you know what? It was it was largely it was largely pretty clean, other than that one that one situation. A lot of barking going on back and forth, but um, that's just what makes fo- that's what makes football fun. Yeah. Well, I always say like that's why I have respect for anybody that played because you have to be a different person. Like you can be whoever, whomever you want to be and whoever you are until you cross that white line and go on to the, go on to the field. And then everything that's not acceptable on the other side of that white line is pretty much acceptable. And you have to sort of understand that that's the world you're dealing in once you cross that white line and get onto the field. Yeah. And then the, the funniest part is during the game, it's like, it's on barking, talking, hitting, whatever. And then, the game's over and it's just kind of like, all right, well, see you later. I'll see you this off season. And it's like, I don't understand how it goes from, I hate you with a passion to, yeah. all right, whatever. I'll see you next time. It's, yeah. it's hilarious to me, but that's what makes the game fun is you can kind of change who you are when you get on the, on the field. And for the most part, you can kind of, kind of do what you want within, within reason. Compartmentalization, baby. Just put that over here. <laughs> yeah, I'll deal with this over that. here. Yeah. Yeah. And then right, it's so, over and then it's all good. Yeah. So that that season culminates with you guys going to the Super Bowl. You had to think, right? You guys were the prohibitive favorites. You had to think we're good here. I mean, I love Peyton Manning. He's he was one of my son's favorite players, but he was playing dead in a western 
that year. Like that, like the, the defense of that team carried them to the Super Bowl. And you guys had the number one scoring offense in the league that year, despite not having Kelvin Benjamin, who at that point was your primary wide receiver. Mm-hmm. You guys had to be brimming with confidence in that one. Yeah, I just we just felt we felt really, really good. We played the NFC championship game. We played really well, we played great on offense and on defense. We were largely extremely healthy for that Super Bowl, which is, you know, a lot of times it's the case when you make to the Super Bowl, the best teams. Well, Thomas Davis was out there with a broken arm, for God's yeah. sakes. He's he's like a bionic man. So he's all yeah. if he's on the field, he's healthy. That's what we always, always yeah. talked about. But you know what? On the defensive side of the ball, we missed some we missed some really good opportunities to, to turn the ball over. Yeah. And when you look at it, that's, I think, where we didn't do a good enough job was we had some chances to for obvious forced fumble punch outs. We missed some interceptions we should have had. We just, we didn't, we didn't play well enough to win and we didn't make, there's, you know how it is in the NFL. You make three or four plays and those dictate the outcome of the game. And on the defensive side of the ball, I know a lot of us have three or four plays each in our mind. That's like, dang on, if I would have taken an opportunity to make that play on this, on this situation, the outcome would have been different, but that season was special for a lot of reasons. Obviously, the Super Bowl would have capped it all off, but that team in the in the energy in the in the in the city of Charlotte as well as North and South Carolina was fantastic. We had so much fun from OTAs to training camp all the way through the playoffs, and it was a special season that didn't end the way obviously we wanted it to, but just just the times that we had on plane flights home to the guys in the team to in the locker room, we had, you know, we picked up Jared Allen midseason. We got Charles Tillman. You know, the team was stacked with just good dudes, the guys that wanted to have fun and were just super motivated not only to win football games, but to make sure that the experience in the building at practice, at games was fun. It was it was unique and we had a great time. Yeah, you know, it's funny. It's it's that game is living proof that history is written by the winners, right? Because yeah. look, Von Miller played an unbelievable game. Don't get me wrong. He was phenomenal. The best defensive player in that game was Coney Ealy. I mean, like, Yeah. We always he, talk about that. Coney right? would have been Coney would have been but he yeah. would have been the Super Bowl MVP. This is not disrespecting Von. Von, I'm going to Buffalo this week. I don't want you to be mad at me. I get it. But like go look at what Coney Ealy did in that game. Facts, fumbles, interceptions. If, if, if the Carolina Panthers win that game, Coney Ely is walking away as a Super Bowl MVP. Yeah, it's crazy. It's just, you know, that's that's what you want in the NFL. You want great games with players making plays. It was it was it was unbelievable. We had a, it was fantastic. You know, obviously you want to win, but to say that you played in a Super Bowl is is a special thing. Um so if 2015 was the peak experience for you in the NFL, things began to unravel a little bit in 2017 for mm-hmm. you when you began some concussion issues. Yeah. When, when did you realize this might be a problem for me? This is one of those things where, you know, you get, it wasn't, you know, you get banged up in different situations, you know, your shoulders, your back, your knees, your, you know, everything kind of takes its toll. And it just, you know, it just got to the point where I was like, you know what, this is, this is something I love, but I want to be able to do stuff as I get older. And that, that ultimately, was the decision. I don't think it was one factor or another. It was just, Hey, gotten banged up a little bit for different, for different reasons. And this is the right time for me to kind of walk away. And that ultimately ended up being in 2019, but you know, I was largely healthy for a large part of my career. And then those last couple of years just really crept up on me quickly. So, you know, the first concussion they came in 2017. And then there was that, I think it was the game in Arizona, if I'm not mistaken, where you had to get carted off, and that, they was were, a, they were, that was a New Orleans Saints. Yeah, that was, was New Orleans. Saints. Sorry, and yeah. there were some tears, and it's just, it, it, it I, I think it made a, peop, a lot of people sad, you know, to yeah. see see you like that. And, and that was, you know, sometimes when you have a brain injury, you can't control your emotions the way other people can. What what what, what was going on there? You just, you know, you try to, you know, it's they all affect people very differently, and I think, you know, when you read about things and you learn more about it, you kind of understand that. Um, Every, every hit to the head is a little bit different. Everybody reacts a little bit differently. One is not better than the other. Or one doesn't right. dictate severity over one of the other. And for me, it was, you know, I always just wanted to be out there and I wanted to play and I wanted to be around the guys and I wanted to feel like I was contributing to the team. So when you can't play, it's, it's, it's a difficult thing. 
was it a difficult decision to make? Because, you know, that transition is always really hard. Yeah. And we'll talk about that uh, in a minute. But like, when you realize the thing that you've been doing since you were four, and you were historically good at it when you were healthy, um, how hard is it to come to grips with that at a, at a really young age? Like you retired after eight years. I think it's, you know, it's, it's super difficult, but everybody's, everybody's career comes to an end for a different reason, whether it's, you know, you banged up, you're an old guy, you, you aren't good enough anymore. Maybe you want more money than, than people are going to give you. So you retire that way. I think everybody, everybody ends their career a lot for the large part. I I would say a majority of guys don't get to pick how they want to go out. Right. And you know, I would have loved to play a little bit longer, but that just wasn't the situation. But I knew, I knew it was the right decision for me and the right decision for my family and ultimately the right decision for me for years down the road. So that I doesn't make it me. easy though. Like you might've no, known it was, it was right, but that doesn't make it any easier. Yeah, it was, I wouldn't, it was, it was difficult. I will say that because I loved everything about it. I loved, I loved the guys in the team. I loved being in the locker room. I loved the training aspect of it. I loved to compete. I think the energy in the stands and the stadium is one of the best things and the coolest things in the world. And you got to play in the NFL. I mean, at the end of the day, that's a dream for a lot of people. I know it certainly was a dream for me. I loved every moment of it. I miss it, but, um, you know, it was a decision that, that had to be made and yeah, it was difficult and yeah, I miss it. And, um, but you also got to look at it from the perspective of how fortunate I was to have the opportunity to play in the league with, a great group of guys and a great organization for as long as I did. And, you know, like we talked about playing a Super Bowl, it was, it was pretty cool. Just didn't end the way I wanted it to, but you know, that's okay. If you, if you were healthy, would you have wanted to play longer or was it completely a health decision for you? Yeah, I would have, I would have played, I would have played as long as my body would have allowed me to, I would have played 20 years if I could have, but um, ultimately that just, that just wasn't the situation. Yeah. All right, why don't we take our second break here and we'll come back uh, on this episode with Luke Keekley on Half Forgotten History and talk about what he's doing now. And again, well, maybe we'll make fun of Greg Olson again. Stay with hey, us. Yeah, Greg's right the best. <laughs> hey, if you're thinking about placing a bet this weekend on the NFL, let's get you caught up with everything you need to know with Trace Trends presented by Caesar Sportsbook. Well, this week, Kansas City and San Francisco meet for the first time since Super Bowl 54, where the Chiefs won 31 to 20 as a one and a half point favorite. Now, this time the game is played in San Francisco slash San Jose slash, you know, the Northern Bay Area, wherever the Niners call themselves home. And the Chiefs are a three-point road favorite. Why are they a three-point road favorite coming off a loss? Because Kansas City and Patrick Mahomes absolutely devour NFC teams. They've won 13 straight games over NFC teams. That's the second longest streak since the AFL-NFL merger of 1970. The only longer one was a 17-game interconference streak from the Patriots from 2005 to 2009. But as we said, this one's at home for San Francisco and the Niners do a good job of protecting their house. They've won six straight home games. That's the longest active streak in the NFL and they've managed to cover each and every one of those games. It's the longest uh, streak since they had an eight game home winning streak from 2011 through 2012. And while the Chiefs and Niners are coming off losses, they're still among the favorites to win it all at Caesar Sportsbook. The Chiefs still have the third best odds at 7-1, to one, while the 49ers have the sixth best odds at 18-1. to one. And now, if you're ready to bet, download the Caesar Sportsbook app to get all the information you need. Must be 21 or over 19 or over in Must be physically present in Arizona, Colorado, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Kansas, Louisiana, Maryland, Michigan, Nevada, New Jersey, New York, Ontario, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, Wyoming, or Washington, D.C. Sports betting is void in Georgia, Hawaii, Ohio, Utah, and other states where we're going Know when does it stop before you start. Gambling problems? Well, in Illinois, Maryland, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Virginia, West Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, crisis counseling and referral services can be accessed by calling 1-800-GAMBLER. That's 1-800-426-2537. For Maryland, visit mdgamblinghelp.org. West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. Arizona, call one 800 Next step, Colorado, D.C., Nevada, Wyoming, Kansas, affiliated with Kansas Cross Casino. Call 1-800-522-4700. Indiana, call 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Iowa, call 1-800-BETS-OFF. Louisiana, call 1-877-770-STOP. Licensed through Horseshoe, Bossier City, and Harrison Orleans. Michigan, call 1-800-270-7117. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. Ontario, visit connectsontario.ca or call 1-866-531-2600 or text CONNECTS to 247-247. Tennessee, call or text TN Redline at 1-800-889-9789. All right, back with Luke Keekley on Half Forgotten History. So the transition can be difficult, right? From doing something you've done your entire life and something you were tremendous at. Um, how was the transition into finding the next thing for you? 
Yeah, so I, you know, to be honest, I'm still kind of searching around for it. I worked with that's the okay, team. by the way. That's okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I worked with the team in 2020 in the scouting department, and that was super cool. I learned a lot. I understand. You know, we went through, you know, free agency in the draft and um, senior bowl and what it looks like during the season for guys and how to bring guys in on, you know, um, free agent visits. And, you know, you learn a lot about the NFL that you don't learn when you're playing from what other teams look like to what team, what, what teams want in guys and how, how free agency and how the cap and how all of that stuff works and how intricate it is and why they cut guys and why they bring guys in. When you're playing, you're kind of like, why are we doing that? Just keep him. He's fine. But versus when you're in the front office, like I totally understand why they're doing this. And so I learned a lot, but I knew that maybe this isn't, this isn't what I want to do long-term. I took last year and I love, I love to hunt and fish. That's like my, that's one of my favorite things to do. So last fall, um, that's what I did. I went on a bunch of hunting trips with my dad my brothers, my cousins. I went fishing, um, we had, I had a fantastic time. It was something that I've been wanting to do for since I started playing football that I just never was able to do because, you know, September, October, November are the best times to go out and do all that stuff. And, you know, we just didn't have time to do that. So I did that last year. Um, that kind of bled into like February, March. Um, and then now I'm trying to figure out what I want to do next. So kind of what I'm doing right now is I'm coaching, I'm coaching a fifth or a 11 U team with, with Greg. So that's been, that's been a ton of fun. We're one on one right now. Um, we've got another game this weekend, hopefully to get two and one. We've got practices a couple times a week. We've got we got like twenty four kids, and it's been it's been awesome. It's been awesome trying to figure out the best way to coach these kids, the best way um, you know to get them lined up on defense. Everything that I think that works in my head, I'm like, all right, this will be a great idea. This is why we did it. This is the application to it. And then you play in the first game. You're like, wow, that was just a complete waste of time. None of that stuff I put in <laughs> matters at all. So after the first game, I completely switched what we were doing on defense because I'm like, this is too complicated. We don't need to be doing all this. Half the kids just want to line up and run forward and hit guys. So yeah. we kind of changed some things with that. So that was that was cool. I'm doing some Panthers radio stuff, which has been – I did my first game this past weekend with – um with Jake Delome and um, Anish Shroff. He's our new play-by-play guy. Those guys no are Anish awesome. very well. No Jake he Delome is. very well. The pride of Bro Bridge, Louisiana, baby. Yeah, man. Don't don't get it twisted. He'll let you know that he's from Louisiana, too. Well, he opens and his mouth. Doing, Everybody knows. I'm doing some work with this company called Q Collar. When I was playing, I wore that, that I collar. That It helps yeah. with subconcussive hits and um, different things like that. So just trying to find ways to help people out and then get my football fixed through – Greg and uh, his fifth little fifth grade team and then the radio stuff. So it's been fun. I've got a lot more free time than I did when I was playing. And I just got to do my best to fill that up. So I'll fall into a, I'll fall into something here, but you know, I miss football. It's something that, you know, you talk to guys that are, that are done playing. I think everybody misses it. So it's not like, yeah. it's not like I'm alone in that, but it's just, I miss the game. I miss everything about it. It was a special time, but you know what, there's going to be something else out there that I'm going to feel the same way about and. Um, I'll keep working until I find that. Now, listen, when you're coaching with Greg at these uh, these 11 and unders, you're not blowing him up like you did that one kid at camp that one year that juked you, and then you went and just rocked him. That well, one that time. kid, you know what? I remember being at that camp. They're like, oh, we're going to do a one-on-one. And I was like, all right, cool. They got this kid, and they pulled him out. I'm like, this is going to be a problem. <laughs> this kid, I looked at him, and I was like, this is not. this is a bad matchup. Yeah. I was like, and I got caught in between. I'm like, all right, should I go like half speed and let him win? Yeah. Or should I go like full speed? Or should I be somewhere in between? And then I started looking at him more. And I'm like, like, there's nothing I can do that's right. So I tried to just go get him. And he just yeah. shook me. I'm like, oh, my gosh. Yeah. That that about went as bad as it could have gone. <laughs> the kid hit me with like, like, a sh- like, he sped me up, slowed me down. And then he like took off. And I was just like. Gosh, the, you got me, dude. I don't even know what to yeah. say. I can't even say anything to you. But you got you him get, back. Like you went, you got him. You got yours you know the next happened? time around. So I was gonna try to like run because I was like, I, I know what he's gonna do. Yeah. And so this time I just ran right at him, and I thought he and I was gonna try to tag off on his back hip like I was in practice. And then I started running at him, and then he stopped, and I bumped into him. I'm like, oh my gosh, buddy! <laughs> not only did you, not only did you shake me and make me like fall down, basically. 
and hundred percent got me, but then I hit you too. So it's like double whammy. I hit, I got shook and then I hit you. I look like a dodo. It was like the, the ultimate double whammy. The kid just dominated me. And then I was at, I was at lunch like a month or two months ago with one of my buddies in the, our waitress was like, Hey, do you remember this train, this camp? And I was like, yeah, of course. Like blah, blah, blah. She's like, that was my brother. I was like, Oh my God. (laughs) I was like, of course. Yeah. What's he Um, doing now? Do you know? Oh, he's probably just, he's probably making people fall over, shaking dudes, playing on varsity as like a sixth grader. (laughs) The kid was, the kid was awesome too. It was, it was hilarious. The kid 100% got me. He dominated me. It was, it was, uh, I just remember leaving that camp like, dang, yeah, just kid, just that kid, that kid got me. So it was hilarious. He was great. His family was great. It was hilarious you got him back though you, you got him back um <laughs> all right so before we wrap this up give me the best hit of your career is there one you remember that man i just that was clean oh. it's what i lived for it's why i do this and i just rocked this guy in the there end. was okay so i'll give you one on each side so all right love it 20 2014 we played cincinnati in cincinnati yeah. and they had giovanni bernard Gio, and- yeah north carolina yeah, North Carolina guy. And I remember sitting, I would watch tape with McD on Saturdays before our meetings. And by the way, for those that don't know, that's Sean McDermott, who's now the Bills yeah. head coach. Yeah. So I remember we were watching, watching a game or a cut up or whatever. And I remember them running this toss crack play. And I just remember McD being like, hey, I wouldn't be surprised if we get this because of X, Y, and Z. However, we lined up or a pressure that we brought or rotation or whatever it was he's like don't be surprised if we get this play tomorrow and i was like all right cool and i just remember it was like second or third quarter maybe and it was like oh my gosh like here's that formation um if they bring this guy in on motion then this was the toss look and i just remember like it just like came together perfectly like line up in the set where I was lined up on the defense, I was clean. So like I had to beat like a backside tackle or a guard or something. And if I took a good angle, I was, there was no way they're going to block me just based on our alignment. I was in a really good spot. So they brought the motion in. And so I was like, I'm going to take a step towards this toss side. And if they do it great, if not like whatever. And he comes running in and like, you can see his eyes in the angle at which he's coming in from like the outside in the crack. And like, there's just like a body language of these guys. Like if he's running a route, like he's not running like this, or if he's going across the formation, he's not running like this. I remember he came running in and I was like, oh my gosh, here it comes. And he cracked and then they pulled both guys and then they tossed it and I beat my block. And like the crack, the two crack guys blocked like our D end and like our nickel. And then the poolers blocked like the corner in our other backer. And it was like Red Sea parted. He didn't see me. Gio didn't see me because he was like trying to like, he was trying to like stem up a corner of safety. And it was like clean, like bang on our sideline. It was like, that is like, I don't know what quarterbacks think. I don't know what receivers yeah. think. But like, to me, that was like the ultimate, like saw it on tape, saw it in the game, took a step. Everybody else got blocked. Like, it's like I had invisible paint on. And nobody <laughs> saw me. The running back didn't see me. The offensive line didn't see me. It was like about as good as it could have gotten. Yeah. It was perfect. So, so if that's the perfect one, obviously there's one that where you got got right. Oh my gosh, yeah. Um, I got smoked by uh, by Mike Robinson. Oh, okay. Big dog me. So we were yeah. playing Seattle. We were playing Seattle my rookie year, and we dropped. It was a pass play. We dropped in the coverage. It was like cover three. So drop in there and we got vision on Russ and Russ breaks the pocket and, and he's still on like the, he's still on the other side of the line of scrimmage. So like, I'm not coming out out of coverage. He crosses the line of scrimmage. I'm like, Oh, it's on. Like I'm going to try to smoke him. And he's literally like, he's running straight at me. And I'm like, perfect. Like he's running at me. I'm running directly at him. Like this is lining up to be perfect. And at the last second, like he turns, he turns, like he goes this way, like he runs to my left. And so like, of course I'm like tracking him and I just see like 
kamikaze missile coming at me and it's <laughs> and it's Mike Rob and he just like boom just crushes me and yeah. he like hit me so hard and I didn't see it coming and I just like crumpled to the ground but it did it was one of those hits where like you don't like you don't feel it it doesn't yeah. hurt when you stand up like you feel fine but he hit me so hard and so flush and so clean that I kind of just like crumbled to the ground and I remember being on the ground like that's why he was running right at me because I didn't see Mike Rob. And I remember Mike Rob stood over the top of me. I think he helped me up and he just like smiled at me and like, he didn't even have to say anything. Like yeah. all he had to do was just like, look at me, smile at me, smirk. He probably let out a little bit of a laugh. And I was like, fair enough. You got me. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. yeah. And he, and I, I know he still remembers that cause I brought it up to him before. Um, clean everything like great hit and probably same thing for him he's like oh dude dumb rookie doesn't know what he's doing i'm gonna deplete him and let him know like this is the nfl and he very much did that (laughs) he very much did that he got me last thing before we let you go do you even think about luke keekley hall of fame no i don't you know it's one of those things like you just, you know, you, you play your game, you, you, you do the best you can. Obviously it'd be a phenomenal thing. It'd be super cool um, to get in there. There's so many guys that I looked up to when I was playing that are obviously in there from, I mean, the most recent guys of, you know, Derek Brooks and Earl Acker and obviously um, Ray Lewis, all those guys, guys that you grew up watching. You're like, man, like those dudes, can play and they were all a little bit different from Brooks and his coverage skills to lack playing on that bears defense to Ray being on those dominant Ravens defenses for as long as he did. It'd be, it'd be really cool to get in, but you know, you go play your time in the NFL and you let everybody else sort it out. But I mean, I'd be lying if I said it wouldn't be a really, a really cool thing, um, you know, to wrap up the career. Well, let me put it this way. Just keep reminding people the list is you and Lawrence Taylor. All right. That no, just, every no. once in a while, just you and Lawrence Taylor, that yeah, might no. help you on the, on that venture. Well, look, that's not your style, but uh, listen, I really appreciate catching up. Hadn't talked yeah. to you in a while. Uh, always good to talk to you, man. And best of luck being a media slob like the rest of us. Now you'll find out it's not that great. There we go. Well, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. All right, buddy. So thanks again to Luke for joining us. We look forward to his continued success coaching Greg Olson's son's flag football team. And we got him on our podcast before Greg got him on his. So take the L, Olson. Take it. Wear it with pride. Coming up next week, a guy who sometimes had to take the L with pride because that was the position he found himself in, Josh McCown. Talk about a journeyman quarterback who had a couple of really good seasons, but he has some really great insights on what it's like to be the quarterback of a team that you know isn't going to be any good. That's next week on Half Forgotten History. We'll see you then.